0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. If you have your Bible, let's open together. Maybe you have your journal. Have you not loved being in the book of James together? After five weeks, we're entering chapter two. And I love that James is taking the practical word of God and applying it to our lives And today we're going to move into a new section that's going to cover 13 verses. D.L. Moody said, every Bible should be bound with shoe leather. That was his way of saying, there's something about learning the Bible and then putting it into practice in the way in which we live and walk and go through life. So we are jumping into chapter two for a very next practical application that James wants to make to his readers. In James chapter two, verse one, James begins, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You remember, perhaps last week, we looked at what true religion is. And I want you to notice a phrase, maybe circle it in your journal, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I really believe that's synonymous with his use of the word religion. In chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, pure and undefiled religion, I think he's talking about people who have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are practicing their religion outwardly in the way in which they live, and again, trying to reinforce the reality that if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be... Obvious evidences of your life. So last week at the end of chapter one, those evidences are that we bridle our tongue, we know how to control our speech, we have a genuine concern for widows and orphans in their affliction, and we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Without a break, because remember the Bible was written without chapter divisions originally, he goes to this next section about showing favoritism and describing that this act of showing favoritism has no place in the life of a Christian who has genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Show no partiality as you hold face, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I love that title that he gives to Jesus, the Lord of glory. He commands us that partiality is totally incompatible With the character of Jesus, I think he's going to give us three reasons why partiality should have no place in the church. And it is, first of all, because it's incompatible with the character of God and of Christ. Uh, Maybe we should define partiality. Partiality means to judge on the face of something, to make an appraisal. That is very superficial and external, without reference to someone else's character or values or personal worth. So to be partial to someone is to assess some external trait or characteristic and then make a judgment about them. To be partial to one and not to another. We do that sometimes. It's going to be illustrated here based on someone's wealth. We might make those judgments based on someone's education or their social standing, and very often we become partial towards someone with the subtle implication that it might result in some benefit to us by being partial to a rich person, a wise person, or a beautiful person. And the command of verse 1 is, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, show no partiality. Now, there's another phrase I want you to circle in your journal or your Bible. It's the last phrase of verse 1 where it says, um, the Lord of glory. And James takes Jesus' character and gives him a title, the Lord of glory. And that's that's purposeful. What he's trying to suggest is that the Lord of glory is in the assembly when you're there. And God himself is not partial toward people. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and does not take a bribe. That's the way the Old Testament law describes who God is. He is awesome. He is mighty. He's the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the king of kings. He is in a realm, and he's not partial. So when James says in verse 1, you who hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, don't be partial to people because God, who is all glorious, isn't partial. Now, that makes perfect sense when we pause and think about it, because the glory of men, we we might attribute, oh, this person's rich, so we should pay special attention. But the glory of man is fleeting. Um, Man's brief glory in this life is so transitory that the Bible actually speaks of man like being as the grass of the field. Psalm 103 says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness on children's children. In other words, the glory of God, the righteousness of God, the faithfulness of God is so consistent, so glorious, so unchanging That it just seems absolutely incongruous to attribute glory to a man if he's a rich man. That's the point of James taking this title for Jesus, the Lord of Glory. And we want to capture that. So he illustrates it in James 2, verse 2 For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man, in shabby clothing comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say sit here in a good spot while you say to the poor man you stand over there or you sit down at my feet have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts what's the implied answer of course yes you have you've made evil judgments based on very superficial qualities and characteristics. Having just described to Jesus the glory of all of heaven, why would you attribute glory to another person based on some superficial manifestation? I think what James is saying is that putting a man on a pedestal while God is in the room is ludicrous. And he's talking about being in the assembly together and then paying special attention to one person for some external manifestation of their life and character. While God is present there, the Lord of glory is in the church. Why would we look at one person one way and another a different way? Um, favoritism is going to be displayed as a, as a sin. and And what James is saying, this absolutely makes no sense To do this within the fellowship, to attribute these kind of characteristics to one and not the other, while the Lord of glory is present. I think what he's reinforcing for us is that partiality or favoritism is incompatible with the character of God. He continues um, in the next verses, verse 6. But you have, um, let's start at 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, here's some rationale. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? He's going to make an analysis of the rich and the poor. But notice in this verse, verse 5, he said, please listen to this. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which God promised to those It doesn't say who are poor, but to those who are love him. And he's simply making a generalization that the poor in this world, and he's talking about materialistically poor people, God has frequently worked to draw them to trust in him when they were completely out of their resources. God is near to the poor. He loves the poor. And it was the poor who often had an awakened soul to look up to God and to trust in him with their heart. Whereas in a general contradiction, verse seven says, verse six says, but you've dishonored the poor man. Isn't it the rich who oppose you and the ones who drag you to court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's simply making a generalization between the rich and the poor that the poor are often in a place where they have to cry out to God because they need him and the rich are self-satisfied that they often don't and therefore persecute the poor. God's heart has always been for the poor. In the Old Testament, he admonished his people to be caring for the poor. He brought a judgment in Isaiah chapter 3 against his people for mistreating the poor. You've devoured the vineyard, he said in Isaiah chapter 3, and the spoil of the poor is in your house. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor, Isaiah said. And God loves the poor. We have to think about what's happening here. I think James is simply making this general characterization that the poor are often the people God opens their heart to trust in him and very often the rich are the ones whose hearts are hardened from the lord Paul took this up in the new testament and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 he said i want you to consider your calling brothers that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many of you were powerful not many of you were of noble birth but god chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord of glory, no one boasts. God often chooses the weak, the low, the poor, the broken. I just wanted you to see that. Not universally are the rich ruled out of salvation or the powerful ruled out, but those who love him, as James said. So I think what he's drawing for us in these opening verses is the incompatibility of showing favoritism to people because of their social, economic standards, that God doesn't do that. And so it's incompatible with his character. We could move on and just take away from this, we we should be sure we don't show these kind of distinctions within the fellowship where the glory of the Lord is to be prominent in our fellowship. We want our church to be about Jesus and his glory, not the glory of any other human being. In fact, I read one pastor who said, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. When we come together and worship, we want to come together and make it all about the glory of Jesus. I think James was warning against a community making their gathering a focus on the glory of the transitory, fleeting glory of men. Here's someone special. The fact is, we're all on equal footing at the foot of the cross, which is what he's going to say now as he talks about the second thing that partiality is incompatible with, not only the character of God, but it's incompatible with the law of God. Look at verse 8. If you are really fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, and then he names it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as a transgressor. You see, partiality is incongruous with the royal law of God, which he describes here, as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is what was to mark the new community of those who were religious, those who had pure and undefiled religion, those who said, I have faith in the glorious Lord Jesus. Then what should the community be marked with? It should be marked with a kind of love that says, I love my neighbor as myself. We've said through these weeks together in the book of James that this is really um, so familiar to the words of Jesus It was so common for James to grab something that the Lord Jesus had said and then put it into his epistle. So here we would go to Matthew chapter 22, and we would hear Jesus say these very words to us. In Matthew 22 and verse 34, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question in order to test him. Teacher... Which is the great commandment in the law? What's the greatest one? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. If you could bring a summary to all of the Old Testament law and the prophets, It would simply be this. It's the Reader's Digest edition. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly what James is saying. It's so incompatible with the moral law, the royal law of God to love your neighbor as yourself. If we would show partiality to someone else. It's the royal law, I think, because it's the law that the king of kings, the Lord of glory has given to us. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Paul picked up too in Romans chapter 13 and verse eight. He simply repeated it in similar kind of phraseology. Verse eight, no one, oh no, oh no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another. Has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment, are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So both Jesus and Paul and now James are saying that the laws of God can be summarized in this way. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, he illustrates it in James, and he says, uh, keeping the law is really important. So he carries on in verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Again, remember in verse 9, he said, if you show partiality, you're a lawbreaker. You've, You've sinned against God. Now, verse 11, for he who said, don't commit adultery, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a transgressor of the law. Say, well, I've never committed adultery, but I murdered. Well, you broke the law. He's using these really grand social transgressions to say, um, if you did one of those, then you, you're guilty as a lawbreaker in a category as I have not fulfilled the law. And I think what he's suggesting is if you show partiality, you've also broken the law of God. We would all say, well, I've not murdered. Not, I've never committed adultery. We know that Jesus actually takes both of those commands and takes them to a higher heart level. And if you hate someone, you've murdered them. If you lust after a, another human being, To sin with him or her, you have committed adultery. And so he's drawing out the law of God that we're all guilty of it. And one of the ways that he's driving home this point of partiality is it's a transgression of the moral law of God, the law of love, the royal law of God. And we we want to be careful, very much so, not to do that. Because partiality is a contradiction to the character of God and to the love of God and to the law of love that he's given to us. But he's not done. He's going to take us further yet in verse 12 and 13 to say that partiality is uh, incongruous with the mercy that we have received. So in verse 12, very important verse, James says, So we should speak and act as those who have been judged under the law of liberty. What's he saying here? He's drawing them in to say, your life should comport with the law of liberty, the law of freedom. What is that to James? I really believe that to James, that is the gospel, the truth about God's saving grace and mercy through Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. So we want to live our life and act among each other in a way that aligns with the law of liberty that has set us free from the bondage to sin. That's what the law of liberty does. The truth about the grace of Jesus sets us free from sin. It sets us free from condemnation. It sets us free from the punishment of sin. We have experienced the freedom of the grace of and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 1, the Lord of glory, verse 1, we've experienced that. So we act in concert with that truth and reality. Remember, he's driving home that faith that is real in Jesus shows up in life. It shows up in the way we treat people. So we're not partial. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We love all people that way. Because we live and act as those who have been judged by the law of the freedom of the gospel. Christ came to set us free. Verse 13, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Sort of a troubling phrase, unless you understand. I think what James is saying is judgment is going to come to those who don't show mercy. And that's not you, because you've received mercy. You're, you have faith in the Lord Jesus. You have religion that is pure and true and undefiled. You've received the mercy of God. And so you're not a person who shows judgment to others without mercy. Those who show no mercy are going to be judged severely. That's not you. You've received the mercy of Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So it's simply incompatible for you to live in a way that you look at people and judge them based on their external uh, impressions and their qualifications externally. You look at people and you see them the way God sees them. Because favoritism is incompatible with who Jesus is. It's incompatible with his moral law of loving. And it's incompatible with the mercy we've received as being forgiven by Jesus. And we weren't forgiven by Jesus because we had good credentials. We were all sinners. But his mercy came to us. And show, we, we show this kind of mercy to others around us. Listen, the church exists to show the glory of Jesus to the world. So the way we treat each other in community is a reflection of that. We treat each other with a kind of love and respect and mercy and honor within the community so that all the church is for all people, regardless of your social standing, economic status, or education. The church is open to be the place where the love of God can be fully known because God loves all the world. Now James is just taking us one step further to bringing our faith in the Lord Jesus to where the rubber meets the road. And I want to pray that God will help us as we live with each other to love each other in this kind of way. This is what he's calling us to because Jesus is our glorious Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that in your great glory, you became poor for us. You who were rich, you became poor, that we through your poverty might experience the riches of God, the riches of Christ in us. So I pray that the truths of your vision of riches and poverty might be ours, that we would never judge one another in a certain way, but that we would see all human beings around us as those who are worthy of the love and mercy of God. Then I pray you'll draw our community of faith together. We who hold faith in the Lord Jesus, let us be the community of Christ-centered people who love God and love others until all the world knows that you are the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we pray for together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.